0: And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. This morning we're talking about uh, hypocrisy and exactly what it is. And and Jesus has some warnings here that are pretty serious. Now, persecution is not something that uh, American Christians know an awful lot about, at least firsthand. But it could be coming our way. In fact, it is in some ways. There are plenty of uh, examples of Christians facing or even paying just ridiculous fines for standing up for what the Bible says. We saw it particularly out in Oregon and Washington a lot. And uh, so the world at large is set against Christianity. You need to understand that. And with that basic understanding, it should be clear that, yes, we could be subject to persecution like we never have before in America here in the future. We shouldn't be surprised. As a matter of fact, um, Paul tells us, that don't be surprised, or it's actually Peter, don't be surprised when uh, you find yourself under this type of persecution with, with Satan throwing these fiery darts at you. But whether we face severe persecution or mere social rejection we all need to think very carefully about the question would i confess christ under pressure or would i deny him now it's not a minor issue because jesus declares that our eternal destiny hinges on our confession of him now the context for jesus remarks here is the hostility that resulted from his denunciation of the Jewish leaders in the passage that we looked at last week, the one right before this one. A huge crowd had gathered, so much so that they were stepping on each other. Now, Jesus spoke here primarily to his disciples, but in the hearing of all, he warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees, which he says is hypocrisy. Now, he's drawing a line in the sand. You can either follow him or you can follow the Pharisees. But they must make a choice and stick with it in the face of you know potential uh, persecution and even death. Now clearly, Jesus believed that our words and our deeds are significant in light of eternity. They matter. Now, also, we've got to understand that Jesus' warnings were directed primarily to those who professed allegiance to Him. We should not be uh, foolish to shrug off His words as if they only apply to the unbeliever. He spoke first here to His disciples, and it applies to everyone. So Jesus first, he, he, He gives a negative warning against the sin of hypocrisy, which, as He says, is denying Him. But Jesus, He also gives positive encouragement to profess Him, even if it results in martyrdom. Okay, so first of all, we've got to beware of the sin of hypocrisy because hypocrites will face God's eternal judgment. Jesus wasn't fooled into uh, mistaking momentary popularity for long-term acceptance. The crowds were thronging around around him, but he knew the propensity of human hearts, even of his disciples, toward hypocrisy. Now, there are several dangers associated with hypocrisy. And the first thing we have to see is that, yeah, there really are dangers for the hypocrite who is following Christ. Now, the Greek word for hypocrite, it, it referred to a mask that was used in acting. They didn't necessarily use makeup. They had these masks that... Would make you into somebody else. So, do you see here what hypocrisy is? It means to lead people to believe that you are something that you're not. That was the purpose of the mask, and it's the same Greek word for hypocrite. It's trying to make people believe you're something that you're not. The hip, the hypocrite's emphasis is on how others see him, not on how God sees him. So, his focus is on the outward person; it's not on the heart. Jesus calls it leaven or yeast because it's subtle, it's insidious. Uh, Just a small pinch of yeast will spread until it puffs up an entire large lump of dough. Well, likewise, just a a little bit of hypocrisy in our lives, it will grow, it will spread until it contaminates us totally. In Galatians 2.13, Paul charged Peter and Barnabas with hypocrisy. Because they openly ate with the Gentile believers until the Judaizers came to town. And then all of a sudden they pulled back and said, oh, we don't don't know what the Judaizers are going to think about this, so let's just pull back and not do it. And Paul blasted them for doing that. Now, if such godly, strong leaders like like Peter and, and Barnabas, if they're susceptible to hypocrisy, then you can bet it's a sin that we need to be on guard against as well. Well... Second here, hypocrisy is a sin because we are prone to please people at the expense of pleasing God. The Pharisees were hypocrites because they lived with a view to popular acclaim, but they didn't live in view of God, especially on that heart level. Now, it's no secret. We all like to be liked, don't we? We don't we don't necessarily want to offend anyone. So it's easy to tell people what they want to hear, rather than to be completely honest. And if people get a little bit better impression of us than is warranted, well, that's okay. We let it go by because we want them to think highly of us. That's part of our fallenness. We all face a strong tendency to please men that we can see but ignore God whom we cannot see. Now, Jesus points out the fallacy of this because the God whom we cannot see sees everything. doesn't matter that we cannot see Him. He sees everything. So we've got to avoid deliberately misleading people into thinking that we're something that we really are not. We should seek to be lovingly truthful in every situation, realizing that God knows our very thoughts. Well, third thing here, hypocrisy is also a danger because we fear what people will do to us if we take a stand for Christ. Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. Now, that's an interesting perspective if you ask me. The worst they can do is kill you. Oh, I thought maybe I was going to be in real trouble. Well, most of us have not had to deal with any type of physical torture or threat of death. It's hard enough to maintain our testimony when we worry about others, what others are going to think of us, let alone if they threaten us with bodily harm. But if we focus on what people may do to us, whether it's merely social rejection or whether it's physical torture and death, we're going to deny Christ when the pressure is on. So Jesus points us to a supreme danger that should scare us into really avoiding hypocrisy. Fourth thing here, hypocrisy is dangerous because it results in eternal judgment of the hypocrites. Now the judgment spoken of here, it involves each member of the Godhead. That alone should cause us to consider it with utmost care. First there in verse 12 hypocrites will be judged I mean in verse 5 hypocrites will be judged by the father Now Jesus says that rather fearing those who can kill us but do nothing further we should fear the one who has killed and has authority to cast into hell Then to emphasize this already strong point he repeats yes I tell you fear him Now the word hell is in the Greek gehenna It came from the Hebrew for the valley of Hinnom. Hinnom. This is where the idolatrous Jews offered their children in the fire to the pagan god Molech. Later it became a garbage dump. It became a place where criminals' bodies were thrown to be burned after they had died. The smoke rose perpetually as the garbage was slowly burned. So the name came to be used as a description of the place of eternal torment. So uh, Jesus about it, he says this about it, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now believe me, I, I didn't invent the idea of such a place as hell and, and I don't even, don't even like the idea, but I can't believe in Jesus and not believe in hell since he spoke so plainly about it. Now if you say, I don't believe in a God who would send anybody to hell... Keep in mind that your believing or not believing has absolutely nothing to do with whether such a God actually exists. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what the truth is. Whether you believe in Him or not, God has revealed Himself to us through Who? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus and His teaching about hell, you run the great risk that what He said was true. And if it is true, then on Judgment Day, you're going to be in big trouble. Uh, Descartes, many years ago, probably 250, 300 years ago or so, he came up with what's known as, they call it now, Descartes' wager. And this is the wager. Uh, You can say there is no God and live your life like there is no God. But what if there is a God? I can live my life like there is a God and follow Him. And and what if there is not a God? If there is not a God, then it's all over with. No big deal. I've lived a good life. I've, 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 you know, lived it for a purpose. But if you live as if there is no God, but there is a God, you've thrown away not only your life here on earth, You've never even considered the eternity to follow, separated from God. Is that a wager you want to take? That there really is no God? Do you want to bet your eternity on that? I hope not. I hope not. Well, hypocrites are also going to be judged by the Son. They're judged by the Father. They're also going to be judged by the Son. If a person denies Jesus before men, Jesus says that He will deny that person before the angels in glory. Now, obviously, Jesus was not talking about a person who occasionally fails uh, in, in their walk with the Lord. If He meant that, then Peter will not be in heaven. But if our way of life is to profess Christ when we're around the Christian crowd, right? Sunday mornings, Sunday school, events, whatever. But to deny Christ when we're around the pagans, that's, by definition, a hypocrite. If we do not repent and take a stand with Christ, no matter what the cost, then He will deny us at the judgment. But hypocrites are also going to be judged by the Holy Spirit. This is verse 10. It's it's caused a lot of confusion and anxiety. There are multiple ways to look at it, and I'm not going to stand up this morning and dogmatically say, this is what this verse means. It's one of those verses that's just not absolutely clear But it is a serious warning. These are scary words. Many people worry that perhaps they have committed the unpardonable sin. So, Jesus states that if a person speaks a word against him, the son of man, they'll be forgiven. But if they blaspheme the Holy Spirit, they will not be forgiven. It's unpardonable. So we call it the unpardonable sin. What does he mean? Just what is the unpardonable sin? First, it's helpful to consider what Jesus does not mean. Clearly, he didn't mean that a person, whether a pagan or a professing Christian, who utters a word of blasphemy in a moment of temptation is forever beyond the reach of God's grace. That's not what he's saying. Peter horribly denied Christ, and yet he was restored. In 1 Timothy, Paul says that he was formerly a blasphemer, this very word that Jesus uses. He was a blasphemer, but he was shown mercy. When Jesus drew a distinction between speaking a word against the Son of Man, against Him, and a word against the Holy Spirit, He did not mean that somehow the Son of Man was less than the Holy Spirit. In fact, the verse before says if you deny Jesus, He's going to deny you. That's another way of saying you're going to experience the judgment of God. He's going to deny you. He's going to say, you are not mine in heaven. So what he's doing here is drawing a distinction between the level of the offense. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. John 15, 26 tells us this. And he does it by convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, during Jesus' life on this earth, the Holy Spirit bore witness, especially through the miracles that Christ performed. At one point, Jesus says, if you don't believe my words, then you ought to believe just for the sake of the miracles that I do. Duh. But most didn't. The Jewish leaders, they attributed those, those miracles to the power of Satan, not to the power of the Holy Spirit. This was the unpardonable sin, sin because these leaders had sufficient evidence from the Holy Spirit that Jesus was just who He said He was, the Messiah. Yet they hardened their hearts against Him. Now this is not of a case of, of man attributing Jesus' Jesus's miracles to Satan on just one occasion, but rather of men who have set their whole lives and hearts against the witness of the Spirit. To turn away from the light that God gives, it results in a searing of the conscience and a hardening of the heart that has no remedy. Such a person has no capacity to repent. In Hebrews 12, we're told about Cain, uh, who, not Cain, Esau. Uh, it was the bad brother, <laughs> not Cain. It was Esau who sought repentance with tears but could not be found. Esau is an example of somebody who had crossed this line and repentance could not be found. Now, here's the question. Can this sin be committed today? Some argue that since it specifically it specifically involved attributing Jesus' miracles to Satan that it can only be committed during His life on this earth. And there is some validity to that. You can't deny that. But it seems to me that the warning of Scriptures, although He gave them to those people that day, they're for us, even though they cannot in the exact sense be duplicated. In other words, a person today can repeatedly turn his heart away from the witness of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ until he reaches a point where he is hardened beyond remedy. Three times in Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, we have these very scary words, and God gave them over to various things, really to the desires of their heart. He gave them over, verse 24, verse 26. He gave them over, verse 28. He gave them over. He gave them what they wanted rather than what they needed. That is a judicial hardening on God's part saying, you want to go that way? All right, go right ahead. And it leads to damnation. Now... Only God knows when a person crosses that line. Only God knows where that line is and when somebody crosses it. Here's the point. Unbelief is nothing to fool around with. If the Holy Spirit has been convicting a person of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and has been showing the person that Jesus Christ is God's anointed Savior, but the person rejects that witness, puts it off, then he is on the path toward that unpardonable sin. He's in grave danger of God removing, withdrawing that light that He has given, giving them over to themselves, and they're going to be hardened in unbelief. That, I believe, is the unpardonable sin. So the lesson for us in that is pretty straightforward. If the Spirit of God is tugging on your heart, is dealing with you, Don't resist Him. If He's drawing you towards Jesus, and yet there are other things in the world that are drawing you away, you need to yield to the Spirit. Otherwise, you may cross that line we've been talking about, and your time of opportunity will be lost forever. All right, the second major point here is that we've got to confess confess Christ even unto death. We're talking about us now because we will stand before God for eternal judgment as well. To be a hypocrite is to deny Jesus. The opposite, what's the opposite of to deny? It's to confess and say yes. Jesus speaks very tenderly tenderly of His followers here, calling them His friends, assuring them of the Father's loving care. He promises that if we confess Him before men, He will confess us before the angels of God. So what does it mean to confess Him? It's not hard. To confess Christ means to proclaim to others the fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord and, and that our salvation is all of Him and not from ourselves. Now, other scriptures show us that we do this initially through baptism. This is kind of a Baptist thing, but we pro- we proclaim our profession of faith. And we say, yes, we've been buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. So it is a public profession of of faith. It's not a denial, it's a profession. And then through both our lives and our words, we openly acknowledge that we are followers of Jesus Christ and that He has saved us by His grace apart from anything that we have done. Now, if Jesus has truly saved you, then you're going to be a different person. Paul tells us that if any man in Christ, He is a new creation. You're going to be growing in righteousness, in love, and truth. You're going to judge and confess your sins. When opportunities come to tell others of the great love and mercy of the Savior that you have participated in, you're going to do it. You're going to tell them because of the gratitude that you have to Him for saving you. Now, don't miss the fact here that Jesus not only accepts, but openly promotes His own preeminence. He states that every person's eternal destiny hinges on his or her confession of him, of Jesus. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. One who has truly been saved will openly confess that fact. The question is then, how do we confess Christ, especially in the face of persecution? Well, first, to confess Christ we've got to remember that all of life is lived under the Father's gaze. Now, this is the thrust of Jesus' words in verses 2 and 3. Hypocrites live double lives, acting one way when they're around the religious crowd, but living a different way when they're alone or with other pagans, let's call them. But that's not a smart policy if there is an omniscient God who knows our every thought. Genuine Christianity is a matter of the heart and it's got to be lived openly before the God who knows everything about us. When we sin, even in our thoughts, we have to confess it to Him. Then, with the inner man, the inner person cleansed and with an awareness of His presence, we'll be able to confess Christ openly to others. Well, second, to confess Christ, we must fear the judgment of God more than the judgment of men Jesus here tenderly addresses His followers as friends. And to be a friend of Jesus is far better than being a foe of evil men. He tells us not to be afraid of those who can kill the body, but after that can do no more. Rather, we're to fear God who has the authority not only to kill our bodies, but also to cast our souls into hell. Now some Christians say that we should always be positive and that we should only talk about the love of God, but clearly Jesus didn't agree with that sentiment. (laughs) Here He uses the fear of God's judgment as a strong motivation for believers. We may fear rejection or even persecution by men, but what we need to fear is the ultimate rejection and the ultimate persecution by God. Now, this is a a basic lesson that every man who teaches or preaches the Word of God must come to grips with. If you want everyone to like you, if you want everyone to sing your praises, then you're going to end up being unfaithful to God's Word. Here's what the Apostle Paul said, "...for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ." The corollary of that is, if you're going to be a bondservant of Christ, you're not going to be a man pleaser. He says something very similar in in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 and 4. You simply cannot be faithful to the message of the cross and to the holiness of God without stepping on some toes. No matter how tactful you try to be. So a basic requirement of every preacher and teacher is you must fear God more than you fear man. But what if men only reject us or slander us? What if they or what if they not only reject or slander us, what if they actively persecute us? Well, to we confess Christ, we've got to trust in the loving, providential care of the Father. After telling us to fear God, Jesus tenderly tells us of His providential care for us. And then He says, do not fear. And He's talking about men. Do not fear men. He uses two two illustrations to show us how much God cares for those who confess His Son. The first is that of sparrows. Two sparrows were sold. uh, I mean, five sparrows were sold for two cents. Now, even though sparrows were of such little value to men... Jesus says that not one of them is forgotten before God. And He assures us, you are of more value than sparrows. Isn't that good to know? (laughs) We're worth more than sparrows. Then Jesus tells us that God has numbered all the hairs of our head. Some that's easier than others. That's okay. What Jesus is saying is uh, you know the smallest details of your life are under the tender care of our Heavenly Father. Now, that should bring us some assurance. Ultimately, what it means is, nobody is going to lay a finger on us apart from the Father's permission. The devil is on a the devil himself, much less his little minions, is on a very short leash. Now, if wicked men kill us, we have His promise. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. He will be there to welcome us. Now knowing that the Father cares for us, we can actually bear witness even towards those who may be hostile towards us. Now to confess Christ, uh, we've got to count on the faithful promises of the Son as well. Jesus promises that if we confess Him here on earth, that He will confess us before the angels in heaven. Every Christian should live every day in light of, the, of someday standing before Jesus, and we hope to hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Then, any suffering, any persecution, any rejection that we've experienced on this earth will be worth it all. Well, to confess Christ, we must rely on the instructive ministry of the Holy Spirit as well. Jesus warns His followers that they're going to be brought before the religious and governmental authorities because of their stand for Him. In fact, we, the tradition tells us that 11, well, all, let me put it this way, all of the apostles except the Apostle John died a martyr's death. They gave their life in service to God. But He says that we shouldn't worry about what, we're go- what, we, should, what we should say when we're brought before these authorities. Right the Spirit he will instruct us at that moment that we need his wisdom now these, com- these, these comments that Jesus makes here apply to us anytime we are under fire or persecution for our faith now y'all familiar with Corey Tim Boone she tells of this converse- conversation she had with her dad as a young girl Daddy she said one day I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. Tell me her what her father wisely responded. When you take a trip from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you money for the ticket? 3 weeks before? Well, no daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right, he replied, so it is with God's strength. Our wise father in heaven knows when you are going, knows when you are going to need things too. Today you do not need the strength to be a martyr. But as soon as you are called upon for the honor of facing death for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. That's an amazing thought. How many think that you could face anything right now for Jesus? Don't we all have a little doubt in there somewhere going, I don't know. We hear of Cassie Bernal, right? Columbine, Do you believe in God? Yes. I've read things that dispute that. But it makes you wonder if somebody's got a gun to your head, are you going to confess Christ? Well, the point of his story to Corey uh, Corey Tim Boone was, yes, in that moment, Jesus, God, will give you the strength that you need to stand for Jesus. That's good. You see, if we've been living for Christ, if if we're walking in the Spirit, we can rely on the Spirit to give us wisdom to respond in a moment of pressure. Now, in the past, many of the faithful had to give their lives to the flames. Now, hopefully, none of us will have to face such a torturous death. But if we do, the way to be ready to confess Christ under such pressure is to be confessing Him now. Confess Him now, and it'll be easier when it it gets hard. What is a little rejection, a little ridicule? What is even physical death in light of eternal life with our glorious Lord? They cannot be compared. May we boldly confess our loving Savior who bore our sins on the cross. Let's pray. Father, again, we uh, see a portion of your word that just challenges us uh, to be faithful lord to take a stand to confess jesus as lord and savior among all men and jesus says one day if if you do that then one day i will confess you before my father who is in heaven Uh, so god i pray that you would just increase our faith increase our love for you god use your word to do that to draw us to yourself And, Father, just speak that truth into our hearts. Give us assurance that you're there with us, Father. We're more valuable than many sparrows, and you've even numbered the hairs on our heads because you care for us. So, God, help us to walk faithfully. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever confessed Jesus Christ? If you haven't, you can do that this morning. It's a matter of turning to God and saying, yes, I need a Savior. You recognize the sin in your life. Maybe you've fought this world long enough. Uh, you think it's going to offer you what you're looking for, and all it offers you in the end is disappointment, dissatisfaction. Um, it just leads to nowhere. It eventually leads to death. Okay? Maybe you've, you've walked down that road enough and you're like, no, uh, something is telling me Jesus is real. Jesus is who He says He is. Jesus is the Son of God. If that's your heart this morning, it's your time to confess Him, even if it's for the very first time. You simply call out to God and say, God, have mercy on me. I believe in your Son, Jesus. I believe that He is who you say He is. He is your Son. He is the Savior, and I trust Him. He'll save you today. That may be your very first time to confess Jesus. It will change your life forever. I encourage you to do it. Uh, the rest of the story as Paul Harvey was said is okay. What about us who are believers? How many times do you hear people arguing about something and you know that you can you can speak to it as a believer and you don't Anybody ever done that? You see my hand up, don't you? Yeah. God gives us these opportunities. These are, these are uh, heavenly, uh, divine appointments, giving you a chance to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Are you going to deny him or are you going to confess him? This is a call for all of us who call on the name of the Lord to think about where we're at, think about how we have reacted, how we are going to act. I'll just give you a quick example. Nehemiah, when he went before, the, uh, I believe it was Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, he was his cupbearer, Nehemiah was. And he came, and he was downcast. He looked sad. He looked brokenhearted. And Artaxerxes says, hey, uh, Nehemiah, what's going on? You Something's going on. You are not right. What is it? And all in one verse it says, And Nehemiah prayed to the Lord, and he said to Artaxerxes, we're talking about a fast prayer, y'all. But he knew he had to. T- he knew he had to confess God before a pagan ruler. This, this was the most powerful man in the world at the time. And he says, "What's wrong?" So he says he prayed to God and he said to Artaxerxes, and he told him his story. My city, my brother told me, it's in ruins. The temple of my God is destroyed. The walls are burnt down. Blah 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 blah. God worked on Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes says, well, do you want to go fix it? So Nehemiah did. Nehemiah didn't deny the opportunity and just say, oh, no, everything's good, king. I'm just a little sad today. No, he prayed to God and said to Artaxerxes. It wasn't a big elaborate prayer. He probably said something like, God, give me strength. And boom, God did. Not only did he give him strength, he gave him favor in Artaxerxes' eyes. We don't know the number of times that we have messed up literally and thrown away opportunities because of fear. When, if we had just spoken one little word, it could have planted a seed. It may not have resulted in anything right then and there. More times than not, that's the case. But you're planting seeds, and over time, those seeds bear fruit. So don't deny Christ. Confess Christ. Even if you get ridiculed. In America, that's generally about as bad as it gets. You're going to get looked at funny. You might get talked about behind your back. What is that compared to spending eternity to the one who gave his life for you hanging on a cross? Confess Christ. If you'd like to join our church, you can just come talk to me. We're going to have a song of invitation. Sarah, you come. What are we singing? I've decided. I've decided to follow Jesus. I want you guys to stand. If the Lord is speaking to you, I want you to come share it with me. Whatever's on your heart, you just come share it with me. And uh, as the Lord is speaking, you come. Sir. again for being with us this morning i hope that you were able to hear from god in whatever ways it's amazing a lot of people say there's more than one way to god Um, you know that the buddhists have their way the hindus have their way um, uh, muslims have their way islam and christians have their way but it all leads to god Well, that's not true. There's only one way. The Bible's very clear about that. That's through Jesus. But you know what? There are many ways to Jesus. Praise God. So I hope you've heard something truthful about Jesus this morning as we lift him up and that you have been drawn to him. That's what Jesus said. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So I hope you've been able to see Jesus this morning. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.